This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su And Now, the smoking generational endgame bill has been an ongoing debate both among policymakers and the public for but more than a year by now, with the bill yet to be um, passed in Parliament despite um, a couple of um, tablings last year. Now, the latest iteration, which is the Control of Smoking Products for Public Health Bill, was last planned to be tabled on 10th October last month, um, but it didn't happen at the last minute. So now with a lot of uncertainty over what would happen next, we want to take a look again at the concerns over the constitutionality of such a um, of that particular ban in that bill. So joining me to do that today is lawyer Lim Weijet. Thank you so much for joining me today, Weijet. Hi, Seren. Pleasure. Now, there have been specific concerns about that particular generational endgame aspect, right? The ban on smoking and vaping on those who were born from 1st um, January 2007 onwards, so once they turn 18, um, that that would be unconstitutional, because, uh, particularly because of its potential impact on personal liberty and equality. Um, before we get to whether or not it is unconstitutional, what are the provisions in the federal constitution that touch on these aspects of personal liberty and equality? Okay, let's start on personal liberty, and that is Article 5 of the Federal Constitution. And Article 5 says that no person shall be deprived of his life or liberty safe in accordance with law. In essence, it houses uh, the right to personal liberty. And personal liberty does not merely mean physical liberty, i.e. to be not be imprisoned or jailed by an officer of the law. It also extends to you know personal liberty in a sense that you have a freedom to decide for yourself what to consume, uh, you know, and what actions to do that you want to take, what what recreational activities that you want to do, uh, irrespective of the degree of harm. Of course, there are limits, and we can go into that later. Article eight then houses the equality before the law provision. It says that. All persons are equal before the law and are entitled to equal protection of the law. Um, in, in essence, it means that everyone should be treated equally. There should be an absence of privileges to certain people. So just because you're a VIP or royalty doesn't mean you have extra privilege. It also means that everyone should, um, uh, should experience the same punishment if mm. you commit the same crime. Um, of course, Article 8 does not mean that all persons must be treated alike. It merely means that all persons under like or similar circumstances should be treated alike. I mean, perhaps it's best to illustrate by an example. So let's say when you commit a, an offence that is uh, punishable by whipping, um, of course, not everyone goes through the punishment of whipping because there are exceptions for women, or if you are elderly above 50 years old, you're exempted from it. So the law doesn't mandate that, well, everyone who, you know, uh, commits offense of kidnapping, for example, should be whipped regardless of how sick or ill or, or your, your gender. So Article 8 does not operate in that way. But Article 8 then allows the government to classify, okay, women or elderly above 50, perhaps they are more physically vulnerable, therefore we do not subject them to whipping. So the, the question then, is that classification of, uh, of groups of people for exemption reasonable or rational? Uh, and does that ach achieve the objective of the law? 
Now that is up to debate and we can go into that in detail later, but that in essence is Article 5 and Article 8 are, 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 the, are the provisions that house personal liberty and equality before the law provisions. Mm. I know this is a very big question, Wajit, but from a human rights perspective, why is it important that these rights are enshrined in our federal constitution? Right, so let's go to personal liberty first. Um, it is important because ultimately it boils down to the freedom of choice and, and as individuals and humans, we yearn for the freedom to choose what we want to do. We do not want a paternalistic, you know, big brother to dictate, hey, you cannot wear this, you cannot uh, talk like this, you cannot say certain way, you cannot criticize this state or this individual or this party. We, we do not wish to be controlled in that way. But of course, there are limits, but really it boils down to the fact that every human being yearns to have to make the choices that they want in life. And in some countries, like the United States, uh, the personal liberty provisions have even been extended to include the right to privacy or the right to abortion even mm -hmm. in the United States. So, so it goes down to the women's choice to do what she wants with her body. So it, it, it stems from that personal liberty. Now, as for equality before the law, it is also a fundamental human right. Um, I think that we all innately want to be treated equally as humans. We feel very unfair if a richer person or a tansri or, 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 or just because you're a minister, you get certain privileges that an ordinary person does not get. We It's the idea of being treated differently or that you are inferior in the eyes of the law is, is very repugnant. And therefore, equality before the law is there in our constitution to, to prevent that from happening. Uh, it also indirectly prevents the government from arbitrarily you know, favouring one group over the other. Uh, I think that's really the, the, the main reason why it is there, is to prevent the government from arbitrarily uh, giving privileges to certain people or depriving privileges to certain people just because of their race, gender, religion, background. So that really is why it is important from a human rights angle. Hmm. Now, coming back to the GEG policy, you know, there have been many over the course of the past year who argue that it's unconstitutional to ban people from, you know, having that choice to um, buy cigarettes or having that choice to to smoke or to vape. Um, before I get to your take, why is it that people say that this is or could be unconstitutional, that it could infringe upon um, personal liberty and equality? Right. Um, I think that from the outset, I wish to say that actually I do not have a strong position on whether to favour or to say that it's it's unconstitutional otherwise. I'm putting forth the arguments by certain legal uh, in the legal uh, experts out there and to leave the viewers to decide if that if that's possible. I think uh, why it is unconstitutional, I think that some parties have said uh, I think the Padang Rengas MP uh, previously said that uh, it infringes on your freedom of choice. So, mm -hmm. so there are some people who believe that, um, yes, smoking is uh, generally accepted as bad for your health, but that choice should be left to the individual themselves to decide. The government can um, make it difficult for you to procure cigarettes or vaping. They can increase the price. They can impose, uh, you know, you're 18 and above, then only you can buy but it cannot res totally restrict your freedom to choose because that is your choice. Uh, of course, Article 5 um, uh, bestows more latitude on the state to confine this uh, human right uh, because it is phrased in the way that's safe in accordance with law. In other words, 
if there is a law that restricts your personal liberty, mm-hmm. then it's deemed to be constitutional. Uh, the courts can strike it down if the courts deem that that restriction is disproportionate or unreasonable to that extent, but it does Article 5 does provide more latitude to the government to control it. But the same cannot be said for Article 8, which is the equality before the law provision. And that's where the former Chief Justice Ton Zaki Azmi has, in a series of articles, written on why it may offend Article 8. I think he he puts the scenario as, as this, you know. Imagine a situation, because the, the cutoff date for the GEG is 1st January 2007. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, if you are born, if the if the bill goes through, I think the bill is in a state of, uh, it is paralyzed at the moment in, in parliament. But the, the iteration of the bill is that if you are born from 1st January 2007 onwards, then you are banned from consuming cigarettes or vapes. It is a crime. You can go to jail, you can be fined because of it. So Toton Zaki provides a scenario. Imagine two adults, one who was born on 1st January 2007, and the other adult was born in 31st December 2006. Now, both of them were caught smoking by the police in some alley. And the person who was born on 1st January 2007 is charged in court, goes to jail. His life is probably ruined uh, to some extent, you know, because he has a criminal record. Mm-hmm. But the person who was just born a day earlier gets off scot-free. So is that fair, you know, in, the, in that sense? Is the principle of equality... Uh, you know, upheld in this respect? You know, is it fair to classify these two individuals um, based on the the date that they are born to determine whether they are, you know, culpable for a crime or otherwise? You know, is this a like circumstances? Are are these persons under like circumstances? In other words, is this classification reasonable or rational? And that's where Tonzaki asked me and certain individuals feel it is not. And I don't think that these individuals are uh, again uh, are, are for smoking to be pervasive in society. They do recognize that it is something that you have to, you know, to 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 monitor, to control, to to encourage citizens to not to consume. But I think they are proposing other ways, like in Japan or the UK, where uh, vape is uh, is provided as an an alternative instead of being banned altogether, together with cigarettes where there are other mechanisms to discourage people from buying it, but they stop short from banning it altogether. I think that's the gradual approach. that, And, and the, the I think these individuals also recognize that there is a pervasive black market. So if you ban, it doesn't mean that this individual, that, that person's born after 1st January 2007 cannot get their hands on it because we all know there are so many leakages and loopholes. There's so many problems of of corruption going on, that it's very easy for a person to circumvent the system. So uh, being realistic, is this the best mode going forward or should we adopt other methods? I think that's the concern by certain uh, individuals who are arguing that it's not only unconstitutional, but impractical in that sense. So I'm just putting forward their arguments on this regard. Mm. So it's not just a matter of looking at the legality of it, but to also consider the practicality of implementing such a ban. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that we all, as policymakers, as legislators, I think we have to be cognizant of the realities of the on the ground, where it's always open to abuse, and, mm. and that's the problem. You know, you can ban something, but uh, there there is already in existence an an illegal illicit cigarette market. You know, mm. uh, anyway, and that has not been stamped after many years. So, so it, it's not going to be hard for a person to get their hands on a cigarette if mm. you're born. 
first January 2007. Yeah. All right, we do have to go for a quick break. Now on the show with me today is lawyer Lim Wei-Jet. We are discussing the GEG bill and the constitutionality, um, or well, the concerns over the constitutionality of that particular ban. We'll be right back after a quick break, so keep it here on Live and Learn, PFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Suan. On the show with me today is lawyer Lim Wei-Jit and we are discussing the concerns over the constitutionality of the Smoking and Vaping Generational Endgame Bill and that is actually part of the Control of Smoking Products for Public Health Bill. Um, this was initially um, planned to be tabled in Parliament um, in October, that's last month, but it's unclear at the moment when it would be brought to Parliament again. So we're taking this opportunity to to visit some of the legal concerns over the implementation of um, a ban on buying um, cigarettes or vapes as well as smoking and vaping for people who are born from 1st January 2007 onwards if such a bill were to be passed. Now, before the break, um, Wajet touched on the arguments of how such a ban would be unconstitutional, how it might infringe upon Articles 5 and 8 of the Federal Constitution, which touches on personal liberty and equality, respectively. Um, now, coming on to the other side, Wajit, the Parliament Special Select Committee itself um, has also said that such a bill would be constitutional. Um, could you help us understand what's the argument on that side, right? Why would something like this be in line with our laws? Right. So I'm putting my hat on the other side now. Yes. So I think uh so, so for if I were to argue that it's constitutional, I think there's a there's a good argument on why it's a constitutional. I think number one, uh, Article 5 on personal liberty, of course, as I mentioned earlier, it is not absolute and not an absolute right. The mm, government that limits. restrict it. Uh and we it is arguable that it's proportional mm -hmm. if you if you restrict persons after first January 2007 from buying cigarettes because we all know the dangers of cigarettes. It, it harms yourself. It harms other persons like uh, second-hand smokers, uh, the smoking effect. It harms other taxpayers because it burdens the healthcare system to that extent. Mm -hmm. So arguably that this restriction on personal liberty is justified and is needed for the bigger goal out there to ensure that our healthcare system is sustainable and doesn't collapse. As insofar as equality is concerned, uh, it's arguable that this classification is rational, is reasonable, because there should be, there has to be a starting date in any event, you know. It's either that or the alternative is to ban altogether for everyone on a certain date. So let's say three years from now, 2026, everyone, you know, is banned from consuming cigarettes, regardless of the date that we were, which you were born. Now, mm -hmm. is that feasible? That's very difficult, right? Because of the of the of the addiction that people get, it is very. It may be arguably, it may be difficult to impose someone to stop consuming cigarettes because of the addiction that they have gone through, and to criminalize them, even though they are addicted to it. Now, that is a whole set of issues and problems that may arise. Uh, of course, the other alternative is to not do with any ban, but to you know gradually increase the price or, or, or discourage um, individuals and so forth, so far and so forth. So I, I think that it, it is rational, it is arguably it is rational to start off with a date. I think that's what happened in New Zealand also. They they have a starting date, but of course the New Zealand legislation is a bit more 
uh, it's not as strict as ours in that they they don't criminalize vaping and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so so yeah, and, and just to take a step back on the freedom of choice argument, also mm-hmm. uh, arguably there's no freedom of choice because of the way that's how certain cigarette products are advertised in that they entice you know minors or underage to consume it in the packaging and in advertising, and of course when you have nicotine, uh, when a person is addicted to it, it's not really a matter of choice anymore right mm-hmm. on whether to stop or otherwise because there's some physiological thing uh, uh the considerations to take into account so yes so those are the arguments on why it ought to be constitutional and any restriction ought to be deemed as justified mm. to dive a bit more into that public health aspect right how would pub issues like public um, issues related to public health also factor into legal matters because is there a is there a balance to be found when it comes to something like this for example when it is it has been proven to be addictive yeah i, I think that the balance comes in the sense that um when the state restricts your personal liberty and your equality um then what is the aim that they are seeking to achieve if the aim is to ensure that you know part the public health in general is improved or the public healthcare system does not collapse because of the millions of ringgit poured into treating uh, smokers, mm-hmm. then yes, that is an argument that, you know, if it really goes to court and someone argues unconstitutional, the government lawyers can stand up to say that, look, you know, these are the government's concern and therefore it justifies restricting and imposing a GEG to have a complete ban upon a certain date. So, so that is how it, it interrelates with one another. Mm. If I may make some comparisons, Wajet, you know, if we look at drugs, for example, those um, cl- um, classes of drugs are banned because of the impact on um, public health and public safety. Is that a good comparison to make when it comes to banning smoking and vaping, for example, when it comes to situations where the government has curbed personal liberty for the safety of the public at large? Well, well, yes and no. So yes, in the sense that it is a good example on a dangerous substance that the government bans completely. Mm-hmm. But it's not really an apple-to-apple comparison because for drugs, mm-hmm. it's a complete ban regardless of what age, what year you were born. Mm-hmm. But for the GEG, it's a bit different because it, it, it has a certain date whereby, you know, after 1st January, you're 2007, you're a criminal. Before that, you're not. So it's not really the same. And that's where Article 8 really comes into the picture. To, and some people argue that, hey, it's you know, not very, very, it's not really com, uh, com, uh, complying with the equality before the law provision. So yeah, I mean, I think that many people have also have raised concerns that, well, if they start with smoking, then what about alcohol? Because there are already certain groups out there that are saying, that, well, you know, we should do the same. Alcohol is bad. It's burdening the taxpayer, so we should also have a date. And that's where a lot of people are concerned, you know, where where does where do, where do you draw the line? You know, this is a slippery slope that mm. will lead to the government being more paternalistic and control and controlling of the of the society that we do not have a choice altogether. They're gonna take away all our choice. So those are valid concerns and, and that's where we have to 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 play the balance. I think that for I think it's generally accepted that alcohol, yes, alcohol does has its harms and it does have its addictive qualities, but mm-hmm. compared to, to cocaine or other more dangerous drugs, it may not be that dangerous in this in this from a scale perspective. And that's why the government 
bans drugs uh, generally across the world. Mm. But for alcohol, it is generally permissible. So, so you just need to look at the degree of harm in, in the debate on whether to restrict your personal liberty or not. Mm. Um. I was reading as well, Wajet, Code Blue recently reported that, you know, they've had sources to, um, telling them that the GEG might be decoupled from the control of smoking products for public health bill because of this concern, right, that it could be unconstitutional. And this is because of um, the Attorney General's uh, Ahmad Darudin Mohamed Saleh's concern that it might be unconstitutional. Um, could you also help explain to our listeners what role does the AG also play in such a situation when a bill is being drafted and when it's going back and forth like this? Right. So I think that when bills are drafted, usually uh, a, a specific minister is the one who champions a particular bill. Mm-hmm. He or she brings it to cabinet. And of course, attorney ge- the attorney general attends cabinet discussions and the attorney general chambers are the ones who are uh, primarily in charge in drafting the legislation in, in, in place. And therefore, they they have a lot of say as to whether the provision is constitutional or otherwise, or how it uh, relates to other provisions, you need to bring it into in line with other penal code provisions or criminal procedure code, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So yes, they, they have a right to voice to cabinet that it is unconstitutional and cabinet uh, can consider that advice. Um, the cabinet can also seek other views. I believe that there are news reports out there that YB Sivarasa was, Sivarasa Rasia, the former MP, was invited to the cabinet to argue why it is constitutional. Um, so the cabinet can can weigh those arguments. They can go ahead and pass the bill anyway. And if it gets challenged in court, then you just have to um, you know, defend it, you know, the government and to argue why it's constitutional. Mm. So what to what extent does the AG in particular have a say in this? Um the, the AG has a say, but I don't think that the, the cabinet is bound by the advice of the AG. Usually, of course, they would uh, defer to the AG insofar as legal arguments are concerned. But when it comes to matters where it's kind of 50-50, it's, it's, it's a grey area, not really explicitly unconstitutional or constitutional, that's where cabinet, may I, I, I would think, has a certain more latitude to you know, insist that it be passed through. And if it does get challenged by, you know, the vaping society or whatever in court, then um, then you just have to defend it. And if you're if you are fortunate, the, the, the court may agree with the government to say that, yes, this is a proportionate response and measure to ensure that our healthcare system is protected. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it, it does not offend Article 5 and Article 8 of the Federal Constitution. It may go that way, or the court may say that, well, it, it is unconstitutional and then it gets quashed. And that's where the government may want to consider to amend the federal constitution to allow the government to restrict insofar as GEG is concerned. And that's a whole different story where you need two-thirds majority, etc., etc. So there are many ways that the government can go about it. Mm. That's it then. How important is it that these discussions on constitutionality, legality are being held before the bill is passed? I think it is important um, because that I think ideally we don't want a situation where the constitutionality of a bill is in doubt and mm. then it gets passed and then it got, gets enforced into law and then people are you know uh, are uh, questioning whether it's really constitutional or not. They they may not abide by it. They think it's not constitutional. It can get challenged in court 
and then the challenge takes one, two, three years to decide. And in the meantime, what happens then? Of course, you know, technically speaking, it should, people should follow the law until it's declared unconstitutional. But uh, the government may want to avoid an embarrassing situation where the, the courts declare that it's unconstitutional and then they have to go back to the drawing board and, and, and waste a lot of time in the process. So um, it's good that these discussions are being uh, made uh, in public and also in the certain parliamentary select committees. But honestly, I do not think that a conclusive view will be reached on whether it's constitutional or unconstitutional. Um, that's really for, for the courts usually to decide. You know, we can give our views, pros and cons, but uh, usually the court is the final arbiter on whether it's constitutional or not. And if the government, like I said, if the government is not happy with what the court says, or if the government wants to avoid a situation altogether that it gets challenged in court, amend the constitution, uh, amend Article 5, amend Article 8 to allow the government to explicitly um, restrict your personal liberty and equality before the law in situations where public health is concerned or, or where GEG is concerned. Then you are... Uh, you know, then then you're immune from being from this kind of challenges on on, on constitutionality. Mm, all right. Um, to wrap up our discussion today, Wei you know, I wanted to look at the public perspective, right? Because sometimes, you know, reading news reports, it can feel like all these conversations are being had by policymakers at that level in the De day one right in parliament. To what extent can the public also be part of these conversations, these decisions? Because ultimately, it also influences our lives. Yeah. I think that uh, you, the, the the usual ways of like contacting your MPs, mm. uh, writing letters to the minister, uh, to the prime minister, on social media, you should play your part. If you have a family member who you know has, has gone through a difficult period because of addiction to smoking, then you can tell about your stories and how it has affected you. If you, you know, if you're a policymaker, there's statistics you can release to show that hey how much it is burdening the healthcare system mm -hmm. i think that you know there are certain think tanks that are already peddling these numbers and figures and there's a lot of lobbying going on behind the scenes um and i think that the public has to make their own stance if they whether they feel for or, or, or against the geg i think that as citizens we have to be involved in the democratic decision making process and not only think that it's a once every five years you go to the ballot box it's it's more than that democracy Mm, all right. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today, Wejet. My pleasure. I've been speaking to lawyer Lim Wejet about the concerns over the constitutionality of a smoking and vaping generational endgame policy. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcasts on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.